Welcome to What Christians Should Know, How You Can Apply Biblical Principles to Everyday Life. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Dr. Elijah Sadafel, and welcome to What Christians Should Know Shorts. Today we'll be discussing the power of a lie by taking a look at Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. In the NASB, those verses say, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased! Many are rising up against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. If you go into a fight blind, you will leave the fight dead. Knowing who you are fighting against will equip you to not only survive a battle, but to come out triumphant. In Psalm 3, we find King David fighting physical adversaries, but in everyday life, we may fight all sorts of opponents, including economic, social, political, ideological, and spiritual ones. In this short, we will take a look at the primary tactic David's adversaries used against him and explore the ramifications of that tactic for your Christian life. By understanding how the adversaries operate, you will be better equipped in times of trial by knowing what to expect and how to respond. And yes, David was a king, but that does not mean his situation is removed from yours, because if a king can suffer trials, then so can you. So the first point is that, in trials, the primary tactic adversaries use is the lie. In the opening lines of Psalm 3, King David makes an assessment of his physical reality. He says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased, many are rising up against me. With eyes wide open, he uses his senses to make a realistic assessment of the facts, that his adversaries have increased and that many are rising up against him. He neither minimizes nor inflates his problem, he merely states what is. David's enemies, however, do not take the same approach. Instead of making an objective assessment based on reality, they make a statement about the situation based on a presumption. That is, they assume that God has forgotten about David, and so they verbalize the statement, there is no deliverance for you in God. After all, how could David's adversaries comment on God's relationship with him unless they had a word or insight into God's will? The fact is, they did not have proof and did not have insight into God's mind. Hence, the adversaries begin their assault by verbalizing a lie. To reiterate, they speak about David's soul and proclaim the lie and say, there is no deliverance for him in God. Now the first result of believing the lie is hopelessness. Now consider the ramifications if a child of God believes the lie that God has forgotten about them, that God has turned his back and there is nothing that can be done to restore a broken relationship. You may not even hear this lie from external sources. In the height of your trial, your internal voice may suggest that you are unredeemable and cast away. Thus, believing this lie will do more than hurt your feelings, it will crush your soul. Believing that there is no deliverance for you from God means that nothing you do in the present really matters because eternity is lost. Believing this lie can lead to sadness, loss of interest and energy, decreased eating, disturbance of sleep, feelings of worthlessness, feelings that others would be better off without you, and in the most extreme cases, thoughts of death or suicide. If these symptoms sound a lot like major depressive disorder, then you are right because depression has a lot to do with hopelessness and the lie is meant to rob you of hope. 
If a person lacks hope and therefore lacks positive expectations for the future, then their world crumbles and there is no light in a world consumed with darkness. The lie is also designed for you to think that you are alone and isolated, so a threat against you is a threat against the self. So, because you believe you are by yourself and your identity is in the self, your world crumbles because you are being assaulted in the midst of a trial. If a person has hope in something, this counteracts sadness and places a real value on reality. A person with hope is immunized from the effects of depression because they expect something to happen and trust in something as being reliable. God's truth tells us that we are not alone and not isolated, so a threat against you is not a threat against the self, but against you and the God who is a shield around you. So, because you know you are not alone by your identity in Christ, your world does not crumble because God is with you. As it says in Hebrews 13.15, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. There is a reason why medication can manage depression, but medication doesn't cure depression. The reason why is because many cases of depression may have a spiritual cause, and that cause starts with believing the lie that leads to hopelessness. The lie that God has abandoned you forever is just one example of this lie. For a child of God, I can imagine no more potent poison than telling him or her that their Lord and Savior has told them never mind. Believing this leads to feelings of shamefulness, sadness, despair, and futility, in other words, depression. Accordingly, because there is a significant spiritual component of depression, it becomes clear that you cannot treat a spiritual problem with a biological pill. There is no pill that can impute hope to counter the hopelessness. What a person needs is the truth of God's word that abolishes the adversary's lie and it exposes it as the fraud that it is. Consider the following verses that give you a reason to hope. Psalm 50.15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 15.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. The second result of believing the lie is turning away from God. The lie, there is no deliverance for him and God, highlights how the wicked think, that when they rise up against someone, they act under the pretense that God has forgotten about their target, and what happens therefore has nothing to do with God and everything to do with human effort, fate, or luck. The wicked do not stop to contemplate if God is angry at them because they place no value in God. In a sense, the wicked want you to share their worldview, a worldview that says God is pointless so that you turn away from God. If the lie of the wicked is successful and you believe that God has deserted you, then guess what? Then the last thing you would do is turn to God and that's exactly what the lie is designed to do. Make you believe that God isn't there or doesn't care, so you have to turn away from him. And guess what? The adversaries know that God is the one who can deliver you from the trial, so they don't want you speaking to him, praising him, or reading God's word. They want you running far, far away from God. God so they can crush you. 
What the child of God must realize is that in times of strife, the first person you must run to is God. If you are in a trial because of sin, you must run to God and repent. If you are in a trial because of something else, God is the one who holds your problem in the palm of his hand, and he is the one who has allowed this trial to happen according to his sovereign will. Hence, you must run to God, to his word, and to his promises. As Philippians 1 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 39 17 says, But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you will not be given into the hand of the men whom you dread. Cognizant that God has allowed this trial to happen, the best question you can ask is not, why is this happening? Biblically speaking, people who have asked why is this happening tend not to get clear answers. Just ask Job. The best question you can ask is, God, how do you want me to respond? This question keeps God in primary focus and seeks his glory to be manifested. This way, the trial does not have ultimate importance, but God does, and the trial is merely a means to draw closer to the Lord. A joyful submission to God is the way to secure peace, contentment, and confidence in God. The third result of believing the lie is fear. God gave us fear for a reason, because fear is meant to protect you. It's meant to tell you that something is dangerous to your welfare and therefore you should not proceed. But it's important to realize that there are different types of fear. Helpful fear is selective and beneficial. For example, you may be afraid when you see a lion in the jungle. This is selective in that you are afraid of a specific animal and it is beneficial because your fear of a lion persuades you to stay away and thus prevents you from getting killed. Unhelpful fear is general and harmful. If you are afraid of all public places, for example, this is harmful and debilitating because it impedes your ability to have a normal everyday life. The historical context of Psalm 3 tells us that David left a physical place of safety and security, the city of Jerusalem. Yet we quickly see that although David may have thought he was safe and had no reason to fear, he really wasn't safe once Absalom started a coup and marched on the city. So, David flees Jerusalem and enters a place of physical insecurity. He was on the run, and Absalom was looking for him. David had every reason to be afraid of the many adversaries rising up against him. This would have been a helpful fear to realize that David alone could not take on many foes. But David did not keep his eyes on his enemies because staring at our problems too long often hypnotizes us into thinking they are bigger than they really are. This leads to unhelpful fear and paralysis. So David, after making an objective assessment of his predicament, what does he do? He literally takes his eyes away from the horizontal plane and casts his eyes on a heavenly God when he says in Psalm 3.3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. In other words, David did not allow fear to paralyze him. He surveyed his situation and realized that, yes, by himself he is outmatched. The fact of the matter is, when David fights Goliath less God, Goliath always wins. 
Helpful fear is smart enough to know that when you are outmatched, it is productive to cast your gaze on God. It is from this posture that David finds himself in a position of spiritual security and comfort in spite of the fact that he was in an environment of physical insecurity and danger. David had a natural reason to be afraid, but he also had a supernatural God who transcends fear. As 1 John 4 tells us, God is love, and the one who abides in God abides in the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. The adversary's lie will try to keep you focused on the natural problem, but as long as you lift your head and cast your eyes on the Lord, there is nothing to fear because he holds the entire trial, start, middle, and end, in the palm of his hand. Thank you for listening. For more valuable content, including written transcripts, a bookstore, and online Bible study, please visit wcsk.org.